Okay, so today we are looking uh, continue our series on Hebrews uh, chapter 10. We're going to be looking at chapter 10, verse uh, 1 to 18. I don't know why that has chosen not to work properly. Um, looking at Jesus in his role as high priest, uh, just to remind you, and being a better sacrifice than the ones uh, that were in the Old Testament. Um, uh, now, 11 days ago, uh, and a, uh, a kind of world-shaping event happened, and that was the inauguration of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., um, who will be the 46th president, who is the 46th president of the USA. Now, even though the ceremony was cut short this year due to the pandemic, it was still full of pomp and ceremony and ritual, um, now, we love our rituals, don't we? We love our ceremonies. It makes us feel important. And it uh, makes us feel as if we are doing something of worth. It's all about that ritual. And the older the country, I find that the longer the ceremony. So if you look back to the coronation uh, or any wedding ceremonies within the UK, and you'll find them significantly longer than that inauguration ceremony um, at, and more ceremony, more ritual, more uh, pomp. Um, but sometimes ritual can be used for a good thing. Sometimes ritual is good. It reminds us of what, uh, what it's there for. It gives us a certain solemnity to take it seriously. But sometimes ritual can overtake the meaning of the ceremony. And that's where the danger uh, comes in. So take, for example, uh, my students at the moment are currently looking at uh, and starting to focus on the summer exams. In maths, the advice is often that they just do tons of past papers. Now, sadly, I see a lot of students doing, working the way, their way through tons of past papers and not improving uh, their maths much, not improving their grades. And so the advice I give them is not to work hard, but to work intelligently. Okay, not to, I mean, I do want them to work hard, but working intelligently more than working hard. And the reason for doing the past papers is not just to go through the motions of doing the past papers, that ritual of doing the past papers. They need to understand why they're doing the past papers. They are... Uh, using the past papers to find weaknesses before doing another paper and learning and growing and doing better. Um, so in, to, but in today's passage, we are looking at the meaningless rituals, uh, those sacrifices from the Old Testament. So let's read, uh, let's dive into the passage uh, and see what it has to teach us. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, starting at verse 1, going to verse 18. Christ's sacrifice, excuse me. Christ's sacrifice once for all. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year 
make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin, of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then he said, behold, I have come to you to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scrolls of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offering offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He do, does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will we be sanctified through the offering of the blood of, Jesus, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bear, also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put, on their, uh, put my laws on their hearts and I will write them in their mind, on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless, lawlessness, uh, lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. Let me pray. Father, we pray that we can refuse ritual, that we can acknowledge your love and your sacrifice and keep looking and holding to that. Lord, help us to more understand this, uh, understand your sacrifice and the consequences of that more deeply so that we can live and trust in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the Gadima Festival, Hindu festival each year, sorry, I forgot to move over to the, the right slide. At the Gadima Festival uh, each year, thousands of animals are slaughtered to gain good luck and fortune uh, from Gadima, the goddess of fortune, uh, wisdom and fortune. In 2009, there were an estimated 500,000, 500,000 buffalo and goats were slaughtered. Uh, but after protests about cruelty, uh, this has lessened within uh, in nearer, um, in more recent years. Um, that's a pretty horrific uh, kind of uh, scene um, and uh, I think with our modern sensibilities, 
even those people who have, are used to kind of uh, killing of animals might be sickened at the sheer slaughter and blood at this scale, the cries of the animals, the smell of blood, the death. Um, we also see this in the Bible, in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles 7, with the consecration of the temple, Solomon offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So that's 142,000 animals just in one sitting. While as the, uh, this um, festival, that's 500,000 buffalo and go goats in, in different places. Um, oops, sorry. Um, now, uh, because of that, we have to ask why. Why so much death and why so much blood? Why is that needed? Why so much, you know, uh, in, in some ways, uh, animal cruelty, but uh, in some ways, it's just this massive kind of, uh, you know, um, slaughter of, of blood and death. Why, why do we need that? Well, anyone who knows their Old Testament, anyone who knows the Bible, knows the answer to this. It is a symbol of a life for a life. In, Exodus, uh, in the Exodus of Egypt, the Jews sacrificed a perfect lamb. And that perfect lamb was supposed to symbolize uh, a substitutionary sacrifice instead of their firstborn sons. Across Egypt, the firstborn sons of all of the Egyptians died that night. So very much in a very real sense, those firstborn sons must have felt this very keenly. A life for a life. But when we look at it and think about it more deeply, it just doesn't make sense. Now, let me talk about... Yeah, so the worst punishment that I can give, apart from sending them on to the you know, headmaster, uh, one of the worst punishments I can give as a teacher is detention. If I arrive late, uh, sometimes my students will joke uh, that they should give me a detention. Or if I, you know, the very few occasions where I you know, fail to mark their prep on you know, their homework on time, they will say, you know, so we should give you a detention. And I answer them, okay, I'm very happy for you to come and supervise me doing my work. Uh, let's set aside some of your free time and, uh, and you can supervise me and that will be my punishment. Um, now, imagine if a student consistently fails to do any work and fails to hand in any work. So I set them at attention. Now, another student could come in and say, it's not Billy's fault that they didn't do their work. I asked them to help with my work. I distracted them. I made sure that they weren't doing their, uh, they couldn't do their homework because I was distracting them. So let me do the homework instead. Now punishment needs to be meted out. And so a suitable substitute is made and that, that would uh, be acceptable. Note that I've never had a student, I don't ever remember a student volunteering to do a detention for another student. Um, but I'm sure it's happened at some point, but, uh, but I, I can't remember that ever happening. Now, instead, imagine this. 
Billy has, he, he fails his homework. He acknowledges that he deserves the punishment. He ex deserves uh, the detention. But he says, is it okay if somebody else does my punishment instead? And I say, mm, okay, um, let me think about it. Who would this person be? And he says, can my dog Rover do my detention for me? Can my dog sit in my place for detention and take the punishment for me? Well, obviously that wouldn't make sense. That is, is a, a bit of a ridiculous notion. And, you know, um, as much as I've had, I have had the excuse that a dog ate my homework before, the idea that a dog should be punished for not doing, for someone not doing their homework as a substitution is a ridiculous notion. You could have a kennel full of dogs or even a zoo full of animals doing the punishment for somebody and yet it still be ridiculous. We see in verse four, we see that in verse four, don't we? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We see in verse three that sacrifices were only meant to be a reminder to the Jews of their sin. It's something like a grim hold that God has over the Jews that they owe him. They owe him their life. And this is shown in life, blood for blood, life for life. But it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And it was never meant to be like that. You can see in verse one, it was always meant to be a shadow of things to come. And we see that the Old Testament promises this savior who will be coming, a savior who would come. Now, some of the Jews at the time of Jesus thought it, this savior would be someone who would flee them from, free them from slavery or dominion by other nations. He would be a military ruler throwing off, off these shackles. But the Jews who understood their Old Testament, the Jews who understood the problem in the Bible, knew that they, this savior would save them from the greatest slavery. That is slavery to sin. So to take this image of the shadow, I've heard it compared to a photograph. Now imagine for a minute a, a loving couple. The wife goes away for a week. Maybe she's going on a holiday or maybe she's going on a business trip. The husband, sad and lonely, takes out a photo of his wife sits down to dinner, puts the photo of the wife next to his dinner and starts talking to her about his day. I mean, nowadays we can probably Zoom or Google this, but maybe this was before, back when international calls were super expensive. Some of you might remember that, that time. Um, but he talks to her through his day. And even after the Zoom, yeah, if nowadays, if after the Zoom call finishes, he still has his wife's picture there so that he can remember her. And as he goes up to, to bed, he puts his wife's photo next to his, his bed so that she is the last thing he sees as he goes to sleep and the first thing he sees as he wakes up. Now that's a beautiful story and, 
and a lovely story. And and that's you know, in some ways, in an ideal world, you know, a loving husband who puts his wife first, as you know, Christianity says we should. That is uh, that is ideal. That's lovely. Now imagine what happens when the wife returns. Does the husband continue continually look continue to look at the photo, continue to have the photo next to his dinner plate and talk to the photo while the wife is there? I think there would be something seriously psychologically wrong, and the wife would really be concerned if that was the case. If the husband was obsessed with the photo rather than the wife. We have Jesus now who has sacrificed himself once for all, the greater sacrifice. You see, the writer of the Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were never meant to be a substitute for our sins. They never could be a substitute for our sins. How could any number of anim animals be a substitute for a human? Now, um, I flicked over to this slide earlier. Some of you will recognize this as the trolley dilemma. It's an ethics question. It's a moral and ethics question. It's a, it's a hypothetical question. We're no no uh, people are going to be run over in this. But a runaway tram is on a track and it's uh, it's on the track and due to kill five people. You can't reach or do anything about the tram. It's, it's moving too fast, but you can reach this lever that will allow you to uh, kind of um, move it, to move the, to redirect the tram onto a second track. Uh, but there is one person trapped on this second track. Why this sick person has kind of tied five people to one. Uh, track and you know just one person to another track I, I have no idea but this is the moral dilemma do you save these five people but actively kill this single person do you divert the tram and save these five people or kill the one person or maybe what if it was two people and one person or five old people, pensioners, and one child, or the other way around. And that's the moral dilemma. Now, that's an interesting moral dilemma, um, and it's something you can discuss in your own time and think about in your own time. But if we then think about what uh, happens with the Old Testament sacrifices, and this is gonna be uh, an interesting picture, what if we replace those five people with the cutest five bunny rabbits? But the one person who you could direct, redirect the tram to, to be this handsome gentleman just here on the left. Would you save these five bunny rabbits? Cute bunny rabbits, adorable. Look, they're looking at you with those sweet, adorable eyes and allow Pastor Craig to die. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, a child who is especially attached to the bunny rabbit may well want to save the bunny rabbit, especially if they don't know Pastor Craig, as cute, as fluffy as he is. I think the bunny rabbit would probably win. 
for a little child. But as adults, it's a ridiculous notion. Please note that no bunny rabbits were uh, harmed during the making of this PowerPoint. You see, there is no time at which an animal can take the place of a human. But we see that Jesus is so much more than an ordinary man. He was perfect, he was sinless, and he was God. Who else could have been a suitable sacrifice for countless Christians through the ages? We who deserve death, Christians who deserve death, who deserve judgment, and are saved through sacrifice, through his sacrifice. Reading verse 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus once for all. And in verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, wait, uh, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so we see that the job was done. Jesus cried on the cross as he died, it is finished, declaring that the job was done. You see, the priests who performed the sacrifices had to stand through all of those ceremonies. They could not sit down, it wasn't allowed. Jesus, in verse 12, we see he sat down. This means that the job was done once for all time. I've heard that, it, uh, that when asked about what makes Christianity so unique, C.S. Lewis answered that the difference is be between do and done. In every other religion, in every other faith, in every other cult, we see that to get to heaven or through your life, you have to do something. In Christianity, it has been done. We need to do no more. Our works do not count for anything more. That is God's grace and mercy. Mercy not to give you the punishment you deserve. Grace is the gift of eternal life and a place in his family. So what does this mean for us? In Jer the writer of the Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be, shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. Why don't we need to remember uh, the reminder of our sin anymore? Why don't we need that yearly blood sacrifice? That disturbing image of something being killed for us 
blood for blood. Why don't we need that reminder? Why is it that we inherently now know what is right and wrong? This passage answers it, doesn't it? This verse, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. We have the spirit of God in us that enables us to do that. And our sins are remembered no more. It's not that we won't face judgment. On New Year's Day, uh, oh, sorry, on New Year's service, I talked about Revelation. Right at the end of Revelation, the records will be open. Our sins will be read out and we will be judged and judged as guilty. But another book is opened. And that is the book of life. Completely separate book. And our sins, our judgment will not be counted against us. And in this life, a perfect, sinless, all-powerful, all-knowing God who cannot abide sin. How can a perfect God abide sin? How can he put up with sin? How can he be in the very presence of sin? This perfect God is now enabled to have a relationship with us. He can hear our prayers. Our sins are washed away. Our sins are forgiven once for all by the blood of Jesus. And this is the amazing news that we have been, we should be remembering every day. That we should be witnessing to. That we should be talking about to our friends, our neighbours, and it should be something that obsesses us because we have been saved, our life, blood for blood. You see, the early Christians wanted to return. Some of the early Christians wanted to return uh, to the rituals. They were tempted to return to the rituals they held for so long because it felt like they were doing something. It's very strange if you are let off a debt because you feel you need to do something. If someone freely forgives you for something, you may want to make it right. But nothing can make it right between us and God. My students want to do lots of past papers. They, they feel that if they do exam paper after exam paper, they are doing something. Even if they're not learning anything, it makes them feel useful. The ceremonies, the rituals we have. Sometimes when I go to a high church, there is uh, just end after end of chanting and rituals, uh, prayers. Sometimes if I've been to it a couple of times, I will just, you know, my brain will be on lunch uh, or whatever's going on. And I, I'm sure that there'll be one or two people who have friends on lunch now, just going through the motion and listening to sermon. But that's all right, because God has forgiven you. It's done. It's not going to cost you your salvation to be thinking about lunch during one of my sermons. Going to church, doing my daily Bible reading, Bible study, giving to the church, prayer, encouraging other Christians, evangelism. We need to realize that none of this, none of those things brings us closer to God. 
None of those things brings us closer to God. It may make us feel closer to God. It may make us feel worthy, but actually none of those things makes us any more worthy to get to God. It makes us worthy witnesses. Yes. It makes us worthy servants. Yes. But doesn't make us any more worthy to come into the presence of God. Because the moment you were saved, the moment you became a Christian, you became worthy to come into the presence of God. Your name was written in the book of life. Yes, don't get me wrong. Those things are good things to do. They are a response to the forgiveness we have. But none of those make us any more forgiven by God. None of those make us more of a Christian. Verse 12 again. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he was perfected for all time. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we are, we have been perfected for all time. When we became a Christian, we were perfected. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, the sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. We do not have to make an offering for sin. Our going to church, our listening to sermons, our doing Bible studies, our encouraging other Christians is not an offering for our sin. We do not do it as a counterbalance here we sinned this much this week. Here we did this many good deeds this week. It doesn't work. One sin in a perfect, in the presence of a perfect God is enough to separate us forever and condemn us to hell. I've heard it put like this, uh, and this is useful. This was useful for me. You can do nothing to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Let me say that again. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Isn't that true of children? You love them with all your heart. And we are imperfect. So if they do you know, amazing good things, we are proud. And yes, now that doesn't mean that God is, God is proud of our uh, good deeds. But that doesn't mean he can love us anymore. A perfect father and mother will love us perfectly, regardless of what we do. Yes, we want them uh, as parents to do better. But it shouldn't change the love we have for them. You are a child of God. None of your works and good deeds makes you more worthy of getting into heaven. None of your sins and your continual stumbles and failures can make you unworthy of getting into heaven. And that is the amazing news. That is something that we need to remember. That is the amazing news. None of our sins, none of our continual stumbles and failures can make us unworthy of getting into heaven. 
And these are the lies that the devils will tell you. You are unworthy. And the Christian should answer, yes, but I have Jesus. Let me pray to finish. Father, help us to keep looking at the cross and realize that you took all our sins and you hung them there. You took the punishment. And so you have made us perfect and nothing we can do can make us worthy of that. But Lord, help us to respond out of love. Lord, to love you back. We love because you first loved us. Help us respond and be witnesses for you. Help us long to bring others into that love, into that salvation, into that perfect future for eternity where there will be no more pain. Help us to, this simplest of comp, uh, concepts, Lord, help us to grasp this more and more, that you love us perfectly. And everything we do now is a response to that. Because you have saved us. It is done. In Jesus' name, amen.